Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Braille Institute Lecture Series. My name is Dr. Bill Takeshta, and today we're going to talk about the most important topic related to vision disorders of children. And this topic is called Neurological Vision Impairment. Now, I know that when I first got into the field of being an eye doctor, really thought that all visual problems were related to diseases of the eyes. You know, I knew that my grandparents, they had cataracts and they couldn't see very well. I knew there were other times that people were injured in their eyes and they suffered from a retinal detachment. Or, you know, some people even developed glaucoma where there was too much pressure in the eye which affected their vision. So as a result, Almost every time that I would hear or see a person who had low vision, I would ask them, what is the problem with your eyes? And I later learned that that is really not the correct question to be asking. And the reason that this is not the correct question to ask is that the number one cause of vision impairment among children in the United States and in all the developing countries in the world is a condition in which the eyes are perfectly healthy, but these children do not see normally. Now, when I learned that, it really surprised me. You know, I thought that the pictures from whatever we see enters our eyes. It focuses inside the eye, and the inside of our eye, the retina, that it would basically be our big screen TV, and that's how we saw. But the truth to it is that vision is much, much more complex. And the retina itself is actually a transparent tissue. In other words, the pictures from what we see in our surroundings, they cannot actually focus on the retina and produce an image because the retina itself is clear, it's transparent. And the retina cells basically absorb the signals that come into the eye and it sends these electrical signals down a nerve that consists of millions and millions of fibers and that nerve is called the optic nerve. Now you may have seen in some of the textbook photographs that the optic nerve, it is about the diameter of a pencil and it travels from the back of the eye and it ends up in the very back part of your head which is called the occipital lobe of the brain. Now once that information travels through the optic nerve and it reaches the occipital lobe of the brain there are all of these different types of electrical connections that connect the occipital lobe of the brain, to different regions of the brain. In other words, vision is actually being processed in all areas of the brain, and it is not just the eyes that allows one to see. So when there is damage or the lack of oxygen or a hemorrhage where blood is bleeding in the brain, or it might be because of other types of metabolic processes that go wrong. 
when these things affect the brain, it affects the way that a child sees. And the leading cause of vision impairment among children today is when there is something wrong with the way that the brain is processing this information. And I like to term it neurological vision impairment because neurological implies to me that this is related to something with the brain. And vision impairment tells us, yes, that there is something wrong with the child's vision. Now, when you evaluate a child, one of the first things that we often will do is we basically look at the behavior of the child. I remember when my wife, June, and I, when we had our first baby, as soon as our daughter's head popped out, she opened her eyes and she looked at me. I just couldn't believe it. I didn't believe that that was really happening. So I moved to a different location and she turned her head and she looked at me again. She was making perfect eye contact. And just from watching her behavior, it made me realize, wow, this child is already able to see and this child has just been born. Now, when we look at our children and you look at the children that you work with, by simply observing their behavior, you often have an idea as to whether or not they could see or not. There are some kids that don't even open their eyes and you wonder, why don't they open their eyes? There are other kids where their eyes are bouncing up and down and back and forth and left or right. That is called a nystagmoid movement, where the eyes don't move in a repeated pattern. They just randomly bounce all over the place. And when you see children whose eyes move like that, you understand there's something wrong with this child's vision. You also see other situations where children don't look at what you think that they should be looking at. There are some kids that will not look at your face, even though you might be singing to the child and smiling and playing peekaboo and doing all these things. This child is not looking at your face. This child might be looking at the ceiling or maybe looking towards the floor. And you look at it and you say, what, what is she looking at that's on the ceiling? There is nothing there. There's nothing on the floor. Why is she looking there? You see that this child isn't looking at those things that you think are normal. And often we might then think, my gosh, this child really needs to have his or her eyes checked. Now, when we go to the eye doctors, many times the eye doctors are extremely busy. And to be quite honest, there are still some doctors who are not truly familiar with neurological vision impairment. In other words, they may tell you that they have never evaluated a child with neurological vision impairment. Or they might tell you that this child has damage to the optic nerve and that this child will never see. But the reality of it is that these doctors who do not have experience 
in working with kids with neurological vision impairment should not be making these types of diagnoses, nor should they be telling you what the future holds for that child because they do not know. Now, there are really very important things you need to remember about neurological vision impairment. Number one, there are three different forms of neurological vision impairment. The first form of neurological vision impairment is called cortical blindness. C-O-R-T-I-C-A-L, cortical blindness. Sometimes they will call it cerebral blindness. And this is a situation, just as I described, that these kids do not look at the appropriate objects. And for these kids, they actually appear to be totally blind. When you see them at that time, they appear to be completely blind. You might take your hand or you might take your file, the chart, and move it very quickly toward the child's eyes. And you may notice that child will not even blink. It's as though they did not even see it coming. And because they don't react to anything that is presented to them, they are often then classified as being totally blind. Now, the good thing about cortical blindness, though, is that there are actually two types of cortical blindness. Some of it, one class, is temporary. In other words, these kids may be totally blind, but it's only for a short period of time. It might be as short as days, or it might be for the first few months of life. But their vision may improve. Now, for these kids who do have cortical blindness like this, One of the reasons may be that they suffered from the lack of oxygen. Some babies at birth, there's a lot of distress and they're not breathing. And as a result, these visual centers of the brain do not receive enough oxygen and they cannot process visual information. Other times, there could be swelling around the brain because of the complications from birth. It may be that the child has fallen from a chair and hit his head, and shortly after that, you notice the child is not seen properly after he has hit his head. There are other babies who may have been diagnosed as having diabetes, and diabetes is when there is too much sugar in the blood. And for these kids, they are often given insulin to lower the blood sugar, but if the insulin is given too quickly or that the baby has been given too much insulin, these kids can then suffer from cortical blindness, and it may be a matter of days or a week or two weeks before their vision begins to return. Now, When a child has cortical blindness, the amount of recovery that they might acquire as their vision gets better, it could be very high to the point where the child is seen normal. 
it is very, very possible that it could be that significant. But there are other cases in which the cortical blindness is permanent. And these are kids that even after a period of six months, their vision does not change whatsoever. These are the kids that will need electrodiagnostic testing by a neurologist really try to study what is going on with the brain. And when they diagnose what parts of the brain has been damaged, it's also going to give other input regarding other aspects of the development of the child. The reason we say that is because we know that the brain controls the movement of the muscles of the body. The brain controls the way that we understand what we hear. The brain controls the way that we move our mouth to talk or to eat. And the brain also is going to be involved in our problem solving. So, in other words, it is very, very possible that if a child has suffered from significant brain injury, that this child may have many, many developmental delays. Now, the second classification of neurological vision impairment is called delayed visual maturation. Delayed visual maturation. And this is a similar situation as cortical vision impairment in which the brain may have not received adequate amounts of oxygen or adequate amounts of blood or it could be that there might have been some trauma. Maybe the baby was in a car accident and hit its head. And that these kids may show a significant loss of vision, where again, they no longer can make eye contact. They don't look at toys. They don't look at TV. They don't look at books. But they look at some very strange things. You're wondering, why are they looking at the sky? What is it that they're seeing up there? Other than the clouds. But they might find it to be very interesting to look at the clouds. They might find it very interesting to look at their hands waving, but they don't look at other objects. So you might take this child with delayed visual maturation to the zoo, And you're saying, look at the zebra, look at the elephants. And that child isn't looking at anything beyond the distance of his fingers. It is so strange why this child will not look. Now, the main difference between cortical blindness and delayed visual maturation is that the kids with delayed visual maturation, their vision improves very rapidly. So usually within a period of six to nine months, these kids generally will have normal vision. When these kids come back in for a progress check, the parents are just so elated, the therapist is so elated, they tell us all of these great improvements. And these improvements happen day to day to day. And within six to nine months, these kids are generally fully sighted. This is a wonderful form of neurological vision impairment. 
So what we hypothesize with these kids is that early on, something happened to the brain or the connections between one part of the brain to another, and that these connections or these cells in the brain were slow to develop. But as they received stimulation from looking at other toys and lights and patterns, these cells and these nerves begin to make connections at a very rapid rate and their vision develops to a very, very high level. So what does this sort of tell us if we compare these two kids, the child with cortical blindness versus the child with delayed visual maturation? What we know from this is that as soon as we identify that the child has a vision problem, we then need to intervene by performing vision stimulation. And we need to teach the entire family, dad and mom, brothers and sisters, you want to have a day, invite aunt and uncle, grandma, grandma, everybody over, because we're going to show you how to do the visual stimulation. And by performing the vision stimulation at this early age, we have the best chance of improving the child's vision. On the other hand, if we just leave this child in a dark room where there are no colors and lights and patterns, those cells in the brain will not receive stimulation. And without that type of stimulation, connections from one part of the brain to the other part of the brain, they will not develop. So we need to go ahead and teach the family how to do it. It is not your job to be the only person responsible. If we teach all the other family members how to do it, then they could be involved. So the third form of neurological vision impairment is called cortical vision impairment, also called cerebral visual impairment, CVI. So the fact that it's called cortical it tells us that the cause of this, it's someplace within the visual cortex of the brain. And we call this vision impairment rather than blindness because these kids are not blind. These kids do have some vision. And because they do have some vision, we know that we could work with these kids to try and to stimulate these different regions of the brain. Now, when you see a child with cortical vision impairment and you just watch that child, you will notice that there's certain things that this child is able to see. The way that this child is using his difference, his interest in what he is looking at or her interest in what she wants to play with, they are very, very different. You might notice that this child enjoys being with you or enjoys being with mom, but this child never makes eye contact with you or mom. Every time that this child is looking at you and then smiling, this child is sort of looking at your forehead. Or maybe this child is looking at your chin. You're saying, why is this 
kid looking at my chin and not my eyes. You may notice some very interesting behaviors that way. Or you may notice that this child is slow to react to whatever you show her. She may need 15 seconds before she responds to a toy that you give her. And that just shows you how slow it is for her brain to process that information. What we're going to do right now is I want you to take notes and I want you to write down some of these interesting behaviors of the children with cortical vision impairment. And I want you also to remember, even though that this is the most common cause of vision impairment among children, the kids with cortical vision impairment, their vision usually gets better. It usually gets better. So that's a good sign. So one of the first things that I, I noticed with the kids with DVI is that their color vision is different. In other words, the kids with CVI, they tend to have a preference to look at red and yellow toys. And this is really interesting because a lot of kids who have normal vision early on in life, they really like the black and white toys. Now, we know that the way that color vision develops, it takes time for color vision to develop. It will often take at least six months before the child starts to begin to develop the ability to see primary colors, you know, the red, the blues, and the greens, yellows. But the kids with CVI, they might be more interested in looking at toys that are red or yellow or maybe that they have a combination of those colors. This is really, really great. You can educate the parents about this, and they could go to the USC football game and buy some red and yellow pom-poms. Or you could tell them to go ahead and to get a Quaker Oats container, the cylindrical one, and to wrap it in yellow paper and to get red electrical tape and put stripes on there. And this would be a way they would have a toy that they could look at. And with this particular type of toy, sometimes what we will do is we'll punch a hole in each end, and we will then tie a string through it, and we could even suspend it from a hanging plant hook, okay, from the ceiling. And we could then tap it, and it will spin, and it will swing back and forth, and this will be something that the child could learn to look at and to follow. So you could use these ideas of colors to make things more visually stimulating and to encourage a child to use his or her vision. If you're going to feed the baby, and you're feeding the baby with a bottle, you're going to give the baby a bottle of milk. It's a good idea also to use color in the same way. That every time the baby's getting milk, the baby will see the red stripes 
and you could use, again, red electrical tape. And this will be a way that we could stimulate the child's vision. You could do the same thing if you're going to be feeding the child. Maybe this child's a little bit older and is eating cereal or oatmeal. Well, it'll be helpful to use a red bowl to put the cereal in so that there's something that captures the child's vision to look right at it. Another feature that's very, very interesting about the kids with CVI is motion and movement. When there's an object that is moving, many times that's going to help them to be able to see it. If you have a toy that's going to be a spinning drum, they may like that. Or if you are going to be in front of your child and you shake your head from side to side or you swivel from side to side, that type of motion may gain their interest. But sometimes if you're making too much movement or you're moving toys too much, it's overwhelming for them and they might then stop. But you could play games when you're playing with your baby. Go ahead and hold up these red and yellow toys. Move it. See if that motion gets their attention so they're more interested. Number three, they often will have a delayed response. Let's say that you you give a child a stuffed animal, a beautiful stuffed animal, and the child doesn't even look at it. Well, you got to remember that sometimes, again, it may take much longer for this child to process what it is. It could be as much as 15 seconds. So you could put that toy in front of the child. Usually you want to put the toy within a distance of the child's arm. If the child is not looking at it, then you want to move it. And if the child doesn't look, you move it some more. And you wait and give the child that much time. There have been so many times that my intern doctors would tell me, you know, Dr. Bill, I think this is cortical blindness. doesn't see anything that I'm giving. And what the reason is, is that these kids had a delayed response. They needed much more time to be able to see it and to process what it is. Now, we also want to make certain that we don't give them things to look at that are too complex. We don't want scenes or situations that are too complex. If you're showing them a picture and there's all kinds of stuffed animals in there, there's 15 or 20 stuffed animals there, the child may not even know that those are stuffed animals. They often need a picture that's only going to have one thing in that picture. Now, some of you have probably seen those books for kids, the DK books, and they usually have a really clean white background, and there's just one stuffed animal there. Well, that type of presentation is much easier for the child to process and to interpret. But if you then take a child into a toy room and it's just cluttered with toys all over the floor, the child will not have that ability to know which one to look at, and it becomes very, very confusing. So we want to simplify 
We want to eliminate backgrounds. We want to use solid backgrounds and just show maybe one toy at a time. Within a couple of weeks, we might then put in two stuffed animals or two race cars. Let's see. Maybe at that time, a couple of weeks later, the child's able to visually attend to those toys, even when there's now two toys on the table. Now, another factor that's very interesting is that when we think about neurological vision impairment, cortical vision impairment, this is affecting the brain. And the brain is also involved in other senses. So if we're going to show a child a toy, but that room becomes very, very noisy because there's a lot of people in there, or maybe we turn on the stereo and the little brother is playing, you know, on the keyboard and the child's trying to look at that toy, that could be too much sensory input to help the child just to use his or her vision. Sometimes we need to get rid of all of that other types of input. We don't want to have flowers that smell real pretty in there because it could be distracting. We don't want to be near the kitchen where you're cooking really good-smelling foods. But we often need to get rid of those other types of distractions because the brain is not able to know which part of the brain to concentrate on. Now, the peripheral vision of the children with cortical vision impairment, it's also possible that they may have a mild, a moderate, or a severe peripheral vision defect. If a child has a mild peripheral visual field defect, this means that there might be like a spotted blind spot. And these little spots might be where they don't see things quite as sharply in the peripheral vision there, but they could see everything. They could see that mom or dad's on that side. Then there's other kids who may have suffered from a more serious injury to the occipital lobe of the brain, and that causes a total blindness to the peripheral vision. Now, the way that the brain works is that the occipital lobe of the brain, which is the very back part of your brain, the right occipital lobe of the brain it processes your peripheral vision on the left side of both eyes. And then the left occipital lobe of the brain processes peripheral vision on the right side with both eyes. So let, let's take, for example, a situation that a child suffered from a brain hemorrhage and it damaged the right occipital lobe of the brain. Now this child may not be able to see anything on the left side of straight ahead. So maybe mom is sitting on the baby's left side and the child doesn't even respond to her. Maybe mom is handing the baby the bowl of cereal on the baby's left side. The child doesn't even respond to it. And the reason for that is because that child has a complete blindness to the left visual field. Now, the way that we work with a child who has the complete blindness to the peripheral vision, we work with that child very differently as compared to the child who has just a mild peripheral vision loss. 
So for these kids who have a complete blindness to the left peripheral vision, we may have to use additional clues. We might come in from the baby's right side, and we're going to say, okay, I'm going to come over here on this side, and here's your breakfast. And the mom may then rub the baby's arm just to let the baby know that she now came on this other side, the blind side. And that'll give the child the clue to move the eyes over to the left. And that'll give the child the clue to move the eyes to find the cereal. So we will have to do activities that are going to introduce to the child that there is a left part of the world. In other words, the child who has damage to the right occipital of the brain, they don't even understand that the left side of the world even exists. So we need to make them aware that the left side of the world does exist, and we will do specific activities that will help that to develop. So this is also another reason why it's very important that these kids have a complete functional vision assessment by a doctor who's familiar with neurological vision impairment. Because the doctor is going to recommend the activities that you and the family will perform. And the activities that you and the family performs will be very different for each child with cortical vision impairment. It depends on how much vision impairment that there is. Now, the next thing that we think about is new toys. We want to introduce new toys and new objects to the child, but we also don't want to do it too quickly. The kids who have cortical vision impairment, it takes them longer to become familiar and to recognize these objects. So it is not a situation where you have to go out there and buy many, many, many new toys. And, you know, some parents want to go to the dollar store and buy new things every day and try to present these to the child. That is not the appropriate thing to do. We want to make certain that this child becomes familiar with it. It's okay to later introduce new items, and we could then see if the child has actually developed a higher level of vision where the child is now interested in looking at new objects. But we do not want to introduce new toys and new objects every day. It's perfectly fine to do the same exercise over and over and over, even for weeks at a time. That is perfectly fine. Another very interesting behavior of children with cortical vision impairment is that they often do not use their eyes and their hands together. You might get to the point where that child is looking at the stuffed animal and the child is using her central vision, and then you notice that the hands are reaching for it at a completely different location. These kids often have such strange eye-hand coordination. It is so far off target. And it may be that the amount of time that it takes for them to begin to reach for the object that you presented 
that might be 60 seconds. Whereas with a, a child with normal vision, they will look and reach at the same time altogether. The kids with a cortical vision impairment, it may be very, very disjointed. So we will need to work on each of these types of skills and steps one step at a time. But the good thing about this is that these children, they do make improvement. And it is something that's very, very helpful that we get other people in the family involved so that every time that they are with the child, they don't just feed the child, but they use the bottle with a stripe. They might wiggle and shake the bottle so the child sees it. They might then incorporate talking as the child gets better. And they might then incorporate more eye-hand coordination things as time goes on. But in the very early stages, we need to go to a very, very basic level. And this is what we really would expect your eye doctor, the pediatric low vision optometrist or the pediatric ophthalmologist to do. Do this type of evaluation and write a report that's going to demonstrate all of the specific activities to do. If you do not perform the examination, you really don't know where to start, and you might be doing certain things that are really not in the best interest of the child. So at this time, I'm going to go ahead and open it up. If you have any questions or if you'd like to share any other observations you've made with uh, kids with neurological vision impairment, go ahead and do so. All right. Does anybody have any comments? Yes. Who is that? Hi, Dr. Bill. It's Patty. Hi, Patty. I have I have a question. When um, we're working with children with uh, CVI, does, um, is there a preferred lighting in the room that, that would help the children more? Oh, that's a really... Natural light or... Yes, that's a really good question. And... For most kids with cortical vision impairment, to have a moderate level of light in the room is very helpful. In other words, we don't want to work in a completely dark room. Number two, it should always be that if you're using sunlight that's coming from the windows or maybe a sliding door, that the baby's back should be facing the window or the sliding door. And that is a way that the child can benefit from the light, but the light doesn't blind them by looking into the window. If the family uh, doesn't have a lot of lighting inside the room where they're looking for things at nighttime, it is very helpful to get lighting that would actually illuminate the room quite evenly. And there are what are called torchier floor lamps. These are available at Target for maybe $29 or so. And it's like a, a, a pole that extends to about eight feet up, and then there's a lamp shade, and the light then is going to shine to the ceiling and reflect off the ceiling to give a, a nice, even illumination to the room. So uh, those are some of the types of lights that would be very, very good. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Does anybody else have any other observations or 
suggestions of lighting that you've used for some of your kids? Dr. Bill, I had sent a question in yesterday, or I think it was yesterday, about a call that I had with a father whose daughter had a hemisphere ectomy. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. That's perfect, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, she doesn't walk or talk. Mm -hmm. And the visual field in both eyes on the left side doesn't have any vision. Okay. And they've done patching, and Father's just really frustrated because he doesn't know how much she's seen. And um, she has a TVI working with her. So, um, And she lives down in San Diego, so there's not too much we can do because we don't have anyone down there. But I was just wondering if there was anything else yes. that we could suggest for this father. Well, that's a really good question. And the first thing is to understand what has happened here. The hemispherectomy is a situation in which the entire half of the brain has been removed. So in this case, it sounds as though they, they removed the right side of the brain. And by understanding what the right side of the brain does, we can understand what kinds of problems that this child will have. First of all, the right occipital lobe of the brain, when that has been removed, this child will not have any peripheral vision on the left side of either eye. Now, when we go a little bit forward, the right parietal lobe of the brain that is going to control the motor skills. Right. And so that is going to affect how the child is able to move the arms and legs, try to crawl or to try to stand or to do anything. So that child is not receiving input because the parietal right. brain has been affected there. And then the temporal lobe of the brain the right temporal lobe of the brain is going to be involved in a lot of different types of understanding uh, facial expressions. It's going to also be involved in auditory processing. So some of the ways that that child hears and understands, like music or other things, the child has to relearn these things too. And in the right frontal lobe of the brain, the very front part of the brain there, that is what controls the ability to scan. That's going to affect the child's ability to just move the eyes from straight to her left. So the father notices that the child can't see on the left side, but the child also cannot just move the eyes to the left because the frontal lobe of the brain has been removed. And the child cannot really reach for things that are on that left side either because the parietal lobe of the brain has been affected. So there's many, many things here that this child is functioning at a very, very different level. Right. So the, the first thing is that this child really needs a team approach of therapists. And, and very high-level therapist because it's a very challenging case. But what I would then say, 
we want to increase her awareness of things are there on the left side. So if they're going to feed her, they want to start by talking to her on the right side. Hey, let's eat breakfast now. And daddy's going to move over here and sit next to you. And then dad's going to go ahead and rub her arm or talk to her from her line side. And then encourage her to turn her head towards her left. She could then see the bowl of cereal and to see dad's face as dad is on the left side. The first okay. goal... The first goal is to encourage her to learn how to move her head to the left. And that's just like how a newborn works. The newborns, they don't move their eyes very much, but they do move their head. Right. Now, some of the other types of things that we we would then introduce would be the assistance of the physical and the occupational therapist. We really need to do exercises to work on her range of motion for the muscles. So they will recommend activities that the parents could do when they are not present. So we want this child to start moving the arms and the legs and, you know, so that the muscles don't just start contracting. You might have seen some kids that when they have become paralyzed to half of their body, the muscles start to contract and they have a hard time straightening their arms and legs. Yeah. We want, we want to learn to do exercises so the child doesn't have that particular problem. And we want this child to be able to learn compensatory ways to be able to move uh, her body. And then we also then want to do additional kinds of activities that we're going to introduce music. It might be some of her favorite music from before. But maybe we could play that in the background while we're doing different types of stretching exercises for her and things. Okay. And I don't know if she has, or what her age is, if she ever enjoyed watching a movie or something, but we could turn on the old movies and put the TV on her left, but we want her to turn her whole head to the left to watch that. Right. So I think it would be really good if we get a team of uh, experts, you know, occupational, physical, speech therapists, and the doctor that I know in that area who does work with uh, neurorehabilitation, uh, yes, there is a doctor, Carl, C-A-R-L, Garbus, G-A-R-B-U-S. G-A-R-B-U-S? Yeah, G is in gorilla, A-R-B-U-S. Okay. Yes, and, and he he is very, very good. Really, really good doctor. Okay. Great. Thank you. Yes. Does anybody else have any other ideas or suggestions that uh, we could recommend for this girl? Okay. 
Let's see, does anybody else have any other questions? Okay. Now, if you'd like to do any other types of reading uh, regarding these types of topics, there are books on cortical vision impairment, and these are books that could be uh, very good for your library. One is written by Dr. Christine Roman Lancey, L-A-N-C-E-Y. Well, that might be a good reference. But if you ever have any questions regarding kids with neurological vision impairment, go ahead and send me an email. Uh, my email is Dr. Bill Foundation, D-R-B-I-L-L Foundation at gmail.com. Okay, thank you, everybody.